If you have your Bibles, welcome you to flip to, to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be verses 11 to 19. Uh, it is kind of nearing the end of, of summer. Hope that you have had uh, some time to get away with family, uh, friends, enjoy the outdoors. Uh, heard a story a few weeks back. Someone was telling me about their cousins had a really eventful trip hiking. Uh, so two dads and, and six kids decided to take a, a hike up in the interior. They were, they were going to kind of this... Uh, this pond, a deep pond, to do some cliff jumping. Um, and everything went well the first day they went, and so they said, hey, let's go back again. Um, going for two hikes in two days is always a mistake. But uh, they went back, and on the second day, one of the daughters, when she went to jump, uh, she kind of hesitated as, as she was jumping over the edge, and, and she didn't really land properly. Instead of kind of going feet first, she did a full belly flop from about 32 feet up. Yes, that's the response that everybody gave when they watched this happen. Because obviously when you land from that high, it's going to hurt. Knock the wind out of her. She went under the water. When she, she popped back up, uh, kind of everybody thought she was just going to kind of swim to the, the edge. But she just kind of floated there. One of the cousins saw what was happening and, and jumped in, turned her over, and started pulling her uh, back to shore. Her dad uh, saw what happened, and he came into the water, grabbed her, pulled her the rest of the way in. When they, when they got her to shore, she had no signs of life. She wasn't breathing. Her, her eyes were rolled back in her head. Uh, some of them thought that she was dead. Uh, thankfully, her dad uh, was trained as a lifeguard back in the day and sprung into action. He started giving her CPR, gave her the, a couple of rescue breaths, and she was able to start breathing again. They were able to see signs of life. She, she regained consciousness, and she was okay. Uh, praise God uh, for that. But it's really important when you're in such a, a serious situation as that to know what signs of life to look for, what, what to look for, what you have to do to help somebody in, in such a, a terrible situation if you have any hope for their survival. Our passage today in Luke 17, we, we're going to look at 10 lepers and we're going to be seeing spiritual signs of life in them and what we should be seeing in us as well. If you have your Bibles, like I said, flip to, to Luke 17, 11 to 19. We're going to meet these 10 lepers who are outcasts, both spiritually and socially, 10 people who are left to fend for themselves. Ultimately, they're fighting for their own survival. But this story isn't just obviously about physical health. It's about spiritual restoration. Now, to be clear, it's not a, a parable. This isn't a story that Jesus tells. This is something that Jesus does. He actually heals these 10 lepers. And like many things that Jesus did, the significance of that event doesn't stay stuck in Scripture. It comes alive for us even today. Contained within the details of this story are three key signs that genuine spiritual life has taken hold of someone. Now, please don't hear. Uh, these are the three things you need to go and do to be saved, to save yourself. I don't want to be confused. Salvation is a work of God. We can't save ourselves or do anything to earn forgiveness. But when God is doing a work of salvation in us, when he's doing a work in us, we're going to consistently see these responses of someone who's being saved. So here are the three signs of spiritual life in the 10 lepers that, that we should see in our lives today. Understanding the need for God's mercy, faith-filled obedience, and worshiping with gratitude. Would you read this passage with me? 
On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on, uh, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Would you pray with me as we start? Father, we are a people that when we look clearly at our lives, at our hearts, at our thoughts, we are deeply in need of your mercy. When we look at all that we need for this life, God, we are a people who are deeply in need of your mercy. And I pray that as we look at this passage, uh, God, we would just see that more and more, that we would see, God, how you are working in us to save us, how you have done the work in Jesus to save us, and that we can we can have faith in what he has done for us, that we can follow you, and that when you're doing this work in us, God, our response has to be to live a life of worship and gratitude, that, God, we would respond to all the things that you're doing, the things that you've done, and the things that you will do. We would praise you. We would live a life that is changed and transformed by your work. So, God, we ask this morning that you would open up our eyes to see this passage. We would see the sin in our lives. We would see where we can walk in obedience. We would see, God, where we can worship you more fully. So do a great work in us and through us. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen. So the first sign of new life we'll see this morning in our text is simply this. Understanding the need for God's mercy. Understanding the need for God's mercy. If you've been around the Bible for a while, you probably know about the, the word leprosy. But maybe, maybe you don't know much about it. Let me tell you why it's such a big deal in the history of Israel, especially in, in our passage today. Leprosy can indicate a, a wide range of skin diseases. It, it could be uh, anything in, in Leviticus 13. And Leviticus 13 kind of tells you uh, that there's a severe kind of leprosy, the, the, the kind that circulation and feeling kind of goes away and you start bumping stuff and hitting stuff uh, to the point where appendages and, and digits and, and noses, all these things can actually start to fall off. It's a terrible disease that if left untreated will lead to your death. But even if it wasn't that, because our text doesn't actually tell us which kind of leprosy it was, even if it was the other kinds, it was a simple skin disease. Your hair would turn different colors uh, or fall out. You would have splotchy skin, red, different colors. Uh, it, it would lead to you being physically marked. And in Israel, if you had these markings, if you had leprosy of any kind, it would lead the priest to declare you unclean, that you were unable to live in your house, unable to go to work, you were unable to eat with your family, you were unable to be around people who were clean. You actually had to go outside of the, of the town. You, you weren't allowed to be with people. You became a social outcast. Leviticus 13, uh, 45 to 46 tells us what you would have expected if you were a leper. This is what it says. The, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean for as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
But leprosy wasn't just this social problem. It was also a spiritual problem because a lot of people thought that it was a punishment from God, that you had done something wrong that deserved such a terrible fate. When you were unclean, you were unable to go to the temple, unable to offer sacrifices, to worship with God's people. You were unable to do all these things that was required of you. You became a spiritual outcast as well as a social outcast, which is highlighted by where this story takes place between Galilee and Samaria. Galilee in the north is where the Jews lived, but they were, they were a different type of, of Jew than the Jerusalem Jews. They weren't the, the social powerhouse. They weren't the political powerhouse. They didn't have the, the wealth. They, they didn't have it. They, they talked differently, and they were kind of considered the, well, the, the country hicks up to the north. They were looked down on because they weren't like the Jerusalem Jews. And Samaria, well, Samaria was, was worse. Samaria was that, that place that had set up their, their own worship and their own idols. They, they only followed the first five books of the Old Testament. They were the ones that were destroyed first when the Assyrians came and, and took over their land. And they actually started to intermarry with the other people, what they were not supposed to do. They weren't considered God's people or even cousins. They, they, weren't, just, they weren't just looked down on. They were overlooked altogether. Where the story takes place is highlighting that these people are on the out of outs. These people find themselves not welcome anywhere. They're socially ostracized, politically powerless, physically marked, seemingly under the punishment of God and kept from being able to worship in the temple. If anyone needs mercy, it's these 10 men. So that's what they do. They, they seek out Jesus for mercy. As they ran to get an audience with Jesus, these men would have had their, their clothing ripped, bandages wrapped around open wounds. Their hair would have been an absolute mess. They hadn't been with their families, had any physical, uh, had any physical affection, like a hug or a kiss for a long time. They're together only in their suffering. And they would have known not to stand anywhere near somebody, but at a distance crying out, unclean. But this time, something's different. They cry out not unclean, but because they've heard of Jesus' power, of his kindness, they seem to know that they can cry out something better. And so they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What kind of people need mercy? What kind of people come to Jesus? Well, we, we know this. What kind of people go to a bank to get a loan? Somebody who can't afford to buy a house that they really want or need. Somebody who doesn't have the funds available to them and they need help. What kind of person goes and, and gets more education? Well, somebody who, who knows that through, through lectures and study and reading, they can gain knowledge or wisdom that they don't have within themselves. They, they need something that somebody else knows. Wait, what kind of people go to a doctor? Well, somebody who knows that they need mental or physical help that they can't provide by themselves. What kind of a person seeks help? The ones that know that they need it and that they can't provide it themselves. And so what kind of person comes to Jesus even today? A sinner. It's somebody who knows that left to themselves, left in an unrepentant state, Staying in their sin and rejecting God will be rejected by God. And instead of experiencing his mercy and his grace and his love and his affection, will experience his justice and his wrath. So what kind of person are we? 
What needs do we have? What's happening in our lives that would make us cry out to Jesus for mercy? Do you have some great need that you can't provide yourself? I mean, maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You're, you're new to the faith even. And at one time, you knew what it was. But what's your need for Jesus even today? It's not a thing of the past. It's a thing that is, is consistent. Maybe you're here and you, you don't yet call yourself a Christian. I'm glad you're here. We're very happy that you would join us. Are you coming to know more about Jesus and who God is and what he offers you? That's, that's great. Hopefully you see that more clearly this morning. Hopefully you see that God offers you something that only he can provide. See, the first sign of someone who is experiencing this, this salvation, this, this work of God in their lives, is that their eyes are open to see their need for what only God can provide, the mercy available through him. All 10 lepers experienced this. All 10 knew that they were hopeless on their own because of their condition. They knew they needed help from someone greater than themselves. Do you feel that kind of need in your life? Like, like really, like, do you feel that kind of desperation in any aspect of your life? Because I think all of us should, every day when we're fighting with sin, should feel that desperation and cry out to God for mercy. All of us, when, when we're trying to justify ourselves before others or before God and we realize that we can't do it, we should be crying out for mercy. All of us, when we see the life that God has called us to, this perfect holy life that he has saved us to, should see it and go, God, I can't do it. I, I need help. All of us, every day, should be crying out in desperation for the mercy of God that only comes through Jesus. Acts 4.12 tells us there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The call from this first point is to come and to keep coming to Jesus, knowing that he alone provides the mercy that we all desperately need. The passage continues with Jesus responding to the lepers. He says this. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. There, there's two parts of, of Luke that talk about leprosy and, and lepers being cured. The first one happens in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, where a, a single leper comes to Jesus. And he, and he actually comes to him. He doesn't stay far back. He comes to Jesus and says, please heal me. And Jesus reaches out his hand, touches him. And he says, I will. You, you're, you're clean. And he's healed. The second time is in chapter 7 when John the Baptist is wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah, the one that he's been waiting for. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus that question. And Jesus tells John's disciples, go, tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. These lepers... They knew the work of God through Jesus. They heard the stories. They heard his teaching. They, they knew that if they could get to Jesus, they could have hope of being healed. And Jesus tells them, go. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it's an interesting response for a few reasons. The first being, uh, well, Jesus isn't circumventing the law. He's not going around it and just healing them and, and just letting them go on with their life. He tells them that they're supposed to go back to the temple, to the priest, show themselves, 
And that the priest then would declare them clean. They would go through an eight-day ritual where they would live outside the, the camp still. They would shave their whole bodies, all the hair, every bit. And then they would have to cleanse themselves. They would have to offer sacrifices. And then after those eight days, they would be able to enter back into life. They would be able to go back and be with their family and their friends. They would be able to go back to work, sleep in their bed, be with people. But the second reason that it's really important you can only go to the priest if you're clean. It would be such a waste of, of time and energy for them to go from all the way up north to walk down to Jerusalem only to arrive at the temple for the priest to tell them, go away, get out of camp, you're not clean. They had to trust what Jesus said. They had to believe that him sending them to the temple would mean they would be healed. It might seem like a, a no-brainer. Easy answer. What, what do you have to lose? They've heard of Jesus the healer. Of course they're going to do what he says, right? But we know that just because something seems simple or straightforward doesn't mean that we necessarily obey. Back in the day, uh, I was a, a college student out at Briarcrest living in the dorm, uh, I think I was 18, walked into the bathroom one day and there was a, a sign on one of the urinals and a, and a garbage bag over and said, do not touch. <laughs> Simple, right? Clearly something is wrong with this toilet. Just, just walk away. Tim, just, just walk away. I didn't trust the sign for some reason and I spent the next couple of hours uh, with a mop and a bucket cleaning up because... The pump just kept pushing out water and the toilet was clogged. <laughs> just, just obey. It's just so simple. Or other lepers in the Bible, there's a story in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 of Naaman, a, a foreign general who had heard from his servant that in Israel there was somebody who could heal his leprosy. And so he went, not to the palace, not to the, not to the temple, not to the priests, but to the prophet. And, and he wasn't even met by the prophet. The prophet from afar told him to go and dip in the river seven times and he would be healed. It's too simple though. It's too easy. And we have better rivers back where I come from. And after being talked to with his servant, he actually finally went and, and dipped. And by faith, by trusting what, the, the, um, what he was told, he was actually healed of his leprosy. But at first, it was just, it was just too easy. Or, or think about the story of, of the, uh, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, obey the law, all these laws. And he says, I've done that. What else do I have to do? So sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the man went away, sad because he had lots of money. Why are we reluctant to obey why do we do this? Because look at, look at what the lepers experience when they obey as, with, with faith. Verse 14 says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus' mercy on the men is clearly evident. But notice, they were healed as they went. See, we would always prefer that God would just heal us before we have to step out, before we have to obey, before we have to do something. But it rarely works that way. More often than not, he calls us to something and we have to start walking in obedience before we experience his power. See, we're usually more prone to be like Indiana Jones uh, where he's going after the, the Holy Grail where he has to take the step of faith and instead of taking the step of faith, he throws the pebbles because he wants to make sure he's going to land in the right place. 
See, we're usually more like that than we're like Noah who builds a boat where there's no water. For you and I here today, see, we don't actually put our hope in something abstract or in something that we can't be sure of. We get to see through the Bible, through the, the life of the church, the, the work of Jesus through his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and we can trust that when he says something, tells us to do something, or promises us something, it will come to pass, and it will always be for our good. But to experience it, we need to humble ourselves and actually move forward in the direction that God is calling us. Obedience and faith always go together. We have endless examples of people who put their faith in God, and, and we've seen the way that God has has come and he's answered prayers. We have people like Noah, people like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, the prophets, disciples. Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter about faith in action. And let's not forget that faith is the means by which we are saved in the first place. We have faith in what Jesus has done, what Jesus has promised, and we have confidence to believe that we can be saved. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and verse 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it look like for us to have faith? It doesn't need to be perfect or strong enough. We see in our story that even all 10 of these men were healed as they went. See, I, I don't think our faith is as much like a, a muscle as it is like a lens that we see through. I don't think it's a, a muscle that grows strong enough so that we can be saved. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a lens that we see through that we see the object of our faith. We see Jesus. And the more that we read and study, the more that we're with the church hearing the stories of God answering prayers and doing miraculous things of, of saving people, the more we clearly see Jesus. We see how he works, who he is, what he's done, and what he promises us. And that as we see him more clearly, we're able to trust him and walk in faith more fully. The more we read and pay attention, the more we see that reality in our lives today. So why? Why are we waiting to see God work before we obey? Where are we waiting before we obey God? Are you waiting to be obedient with your tithing until your bank account has a certain number in it? Are you waiting to deal with your sexual sin before, you know, God, when you give me a spouse, then I'll deal with that. One that hits close to home for me, am I waiting for my neighbors to say something or do something so that I can share the gospel instead of stepping out in faith and sharing it, knowing that God is going to use it however he wants? Are we waiting if we, we aren't yet followers of Jesus? Are we waiting until God opens heaven or does a miracle so that we can believe that he loves us, that he died for us and he forgives our sins and offers us eternal life? See, today is a great day to step out in faith, to trust God, to, to do something that God has called us to do in faith. We would love to talk with you about what that looks like in your life. Come afterwards, uh, we'll pray with you, we'll talk to you about what that would, would look like for you to step out in faith today. If you know that you need the mercy of Jesus, if you're, if you're willing to walk in obedience by faith, then it should lead us to this final sign of life, one that isn't experienced by all who see God's work in their lives. It's this, we worship with gratitude. 
Read with me. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Out of the ten that were healed, only one man, a Samaritan, the, the, the outcast of outcasts, turns back to praise God. The one who's not considered one of his people. He's praising God with a loud voice, falls at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He puts his life on hold, knowing that there's something he has to do first. See, the action of not going to the temple to be declared clean by the priest would have delayed getting back to life. It would have delayed him getting back to be with his family and his friends, to work, to his house, to his bed, to a hug, to a meal with people. Him turning around and coming back to find Jesus is huge. Because this one man gets it. Sure, he's received the gift of healing and a ticket back to regular life. He, he understands that, but he's found something better than just regular life. He's found the giver of life. Sam Albury, a pastor, someone who's written books about his, his freedom in Jesus from his sexual identity, says it this way, Christianity, come for forgiveness, stay for the forgiver. We need to see this so clearly. This one man had a terrible life. He has suffered. He's been an outcast spiritually and socially. He now has the opportunity to get that all back. I am I'm sure that he was praying to be healed. It's come true. But he realizes that getting back to regular life can wait. It all pales in comparison to expressing his gratitude to God for what he has done. This healing from God changes the way he sees his life and changes the way he sees the one who's given him life. I want to go back to the, the story I was telling at the beginning. It would be very strange if this girl who had, who had cliffed dove, uh, smacked in the water, been, been pulled out and, and resuscitated, if when she was resuscitated and, and, and she kind of came back to consciousness, if she just stood up, walked back to camp without saying anything, right? I mean, we would all kind of wonder, like, what's wrong? Isn't she grateful for her cousin who pulled her out of the water? Isn't she grateful for her dad who, who gave her CPR? Isn't she grateful to God who had mercy and allowed her to come back to life? We would be aghast if this, this girl just pretended like, well, of course they had to do it. What other option? Right? Let me, I, I deserved it. I've earned it. Because every breath now that she breathes is more clearly the mercy of God in her life. It should lead to her filled with thanksgiving. She should have leapt up, hugged her dad, hugged her cousin, said thank you. She was probably crying. She was probably so grateful to be alive. It should be the same with us. Every breath that we breathe is already the mercy of God. We don't earn any breath. In fact, we don't even think about breath. We just do it naturally. The only time I think about breath is when I have to climb up a couple flights of stairs carrying kids. <laughs> All ten experienced mercy in their lives. Nine were content with the gift rather than the giver. 
They, they missed what the healing ultimately pointed to and who the healing ultimately pointed to. They're like the, the unworthy servants from the passage just before this that expected the master would serve them after they had done their work. These nine lepers may have thought, well, we've, we've done everything. We, we came to Jesus for mercy. And when he told us to go to the temple, we went. We, we obeyed. We did everything he asked of us and we got healed. We've gotten exactly what we asked for. What, what more does he want? He wants worship. He wants gratitude. It would have been really unlikely Sorry, it would have been really likely that these nine men would have told this story for the rest of their lives. How great it was that they were, they were healed, and yet in the moment, and, and it doesn't change their hearts. How ungrateful, how short-sighted. It should have been clear to them that only God could do such a miracle. Being sent to go to the temple and on the way being healed of your leprosy miraculously, there's, there's nobody else that could have done that. So if this person named Jesus could heal leprosy, he was at least an agent of God. But from all the stories from his teaching, the Samaritan very well must have realized that Jesus was really the long-awaited Savior and King. And so he returns, praising God, praising Jesus, falling on his face at his feet. He came for mercy, he obeyed in faith, and now he was worshiping with gratitude. We, we kind of get this, though, right? How, how do we respond when something great happens in our lives? Think about it. When, when somebody has their first kid, sorry, subsequent children, uh, you have a huge party. You have a big, uh, a big baby shower. You post endless pictures online. You want people to celebrate this, this birth, this, this, this thing that you are grateful for. When you buy a house, you have a, a housewarming party. When you graduate high school or university or kindergarten, you have a, a celebration. <laughs> How great it is that we've done it. When something happens in our lives, it's right to respond with celebration and gratitude, which is why the Samaritan leper is right in his actions. He, he knows that the ceremonial cleansing that he's going to go through can wait, but being able to praise God and worship at his feet can't. He's received the healing that he did not deserve. He was spared from the death that he did deserve. How else could you respond? Sadly, though, there's many people like the nine who, who cry out to God for help in times of crisis. And God answers their prayers. And after a while, their lives go back to, to looking the way it did before. No real worship, no real faith. We can be like this even in the church. It's never good to forget to say thank you, but there's, there's something more grievous going on here. To have God do something miraculous in your life and not eventually respond with worship and gratitude cast doubt on the very nature of our faith and our salvation. Most commentators agree that while the ten lepers were all healed physically, only the one that returned would actually receive the full gift of spiritual life from Jesus. That's what verse 19 says. And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Uh, another way to say that is your faith has saved you. Your trust in me, your worship of me shows your heart really loves and is changed by the work that I've done. It's a sad picture of, of the common response to God though by people in this world and even sometimes in the church. God's common grace is all around us. It's evident and yet Romans 1.21 warns us 
that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is a real possibility for all of us. And so it's good to look and to think, what, what do we have to be thankful for? Why should gratitude be exploding from every word and action that we do? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, this is where I want to wrap us up. It says like this, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What are the, the, the common graces that we've received? Like I said, who, who gives us our breath? We don't will it. We're completely dependent on God to continue going on. Who gives us our, our minds to be able to, to think and to reason and to question? God. Our abilities, our, our giftings, our talents, they're gifts from, from God. Where do we get our, our food and our nourishment from? Did we make the soil? Did we make the plant, the, the water? Did we make it grow by providing the sun? Did, did we do any of it? Or, or do we trust that, that God is going to continue to provide for us? Are we holding the whole world and the entire universe together by the work of our own will? What do we have that God has not mercifully given us? The answer is nothing. We are but sinners who have not served God the way we should with every breath, with every thought, with every action. We deserve only death. We, we, we deserved the flood. We, we deserve to be wiped out. We deserve to be judged and punished because of the rebellion that, that is so inherent in all of us. But instead, we get Jesus. Instead, we get Jesus who's full of, of mercy and grace, willing to die a sacrificial death on our behalf to take us from being his enemies to his friends, his families, and his co-heir. All of us have received mercy in one form or another, either in the simple act of existing and being here today or in the supernatural act of God saving us. How will we respond to that? See, all of us should take a moment to check for signs of life. All of us should be, should be checking to see, am I crying out to Jesus for mercy every day? Do I see my sin and my need for forgiveness, my need for help that comes outside of me? Am I willing to trust in the work of Jesus by faith and obey to walk where God has called me even when it doesn't seem like I'm sure about it? Will, will we respond to the mercy and the grace of God in our lives with grateful worship every day? See, my hope and my prayer is that all of us would see these three signs of spiritual life growing in us every day. That we would become a people who are grateful. That every day, every situation, every breath could become opportunity to praise God for what he has done and who he is. Both in our suffering and in our many blessings. Let's pray to that end. Father, would you give us pause to step back and, and to see life clearly? To be able to look at all that we have, all that you have given us, all the ways that you've blessed us, 
the ways that you've sustained our lives, God, would we think clearly about the mercy that we've received? God, if we're followers of you today, I pray that we would think even more clearly about the, the supernatural gift you've given us of salvation. That God, this is a work that you have done alone and we have only responded to this great work. Would we continue to come to you relying on your mercy every single day? Would we walk in obedience to what you've called us to? To live the lives that you have saved us to? To do the works that you've created us for? And God, would our, our mouths and our minds and our lives be filled with, with grateful worship? That God, we wouldn't be people who groan and complain, but be people who see the great work that you have done, the great God that you are, and, and obey and love and worship and praise you in return. So God, we pray this all in your great name. Amen.